In your Bibles, if you'd turn to Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12. We've been walking through the book of Matthew with a focus on Jesus bringing his kingdom, uh, Jesus proclaiming it, embodying uh, its principles and teaching about it, inviting us to find life under the authority of Jesus. Jesus is the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. That's the closing message of Matthew's gospel. And throughout all of it, Jesus, uh, we're sort of tracking Jesus and his authority. What does Jesus have power over? What does he reign over? And what is evident in this story is that Jesus is driving out demons he's healing the sick he's raising the dead what is evident is jesus has authority over everything what we have celebrated and worship what we've prayed about and praised and read in scripture is a christ who is reigning over heaven and earth at the right hand of god who has sought us and saved us and redeemed us and invited us into his family let's pray and just walk through God's word together and be encouraged to know that Christ is king. God, we love you, and we thank you for today. Open our hearts now. Help us to hear from you. Help us to set aside the concerns and cares of uh, uh, and anxieties that we have that carry burdens on our hearts this morning. God, that we would hear truth from your son today that would speak to our souls and heal our hearts and welcome us into your family. God, we love you and we praise you today. Be with the kids as they learn and are encouraged downstairs. Bless them and watch over them. Help us, God, to hear from you. We love you and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew's Gospel, we're learning about Jesus and there's something that I wish I would have understood uh, a long time ago, but I still, like, I really don't get it. And it's the closing words of Matthew 11. And maybe uh, you're with me on this journey and uh, in your own walk of faith, and you're trying to learn the same lesson as well. It starts at, uh, I said Ma- Matthew 12, but at the end of Matthew 11, Jesus points us uh, towards the Father, and he invites us to see something about him. And I think it's important that we get this. At that time, so it's Matthew eleven twenty five. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. In this wonderful sort of passage, we get a picture of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is displaying God the Father. If you want to know who the Father is, you look to Jesus. If you want to know who Jesus is, you look to the Father. They are a reflection of one another. And so what we get with the life of Jesus is a picture of God's heart. As we look at this then, the next passage helps outline something that I've struggled with my whole life. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What I mean by my own wrestling, and I wish maybe I would have understood this more when I was younger, is that I have often felt like the Christian faith is a run on the treadmill. Um, now, I don't do that often, and nor should you. I mean, that's, you know, that's not good, right? No, but running on the treadmill, it's a lot of work, and it gets you nowhere, right? Um, maybe that's not the right way to look at it, like it's, you know, maybe making your heart healthier or something. But, uh, but it's that sort of running, and you're all done, and you, you get off the treadmill, and you're in the same place that you were. And what I mean by comparison is, is that the Christian faith often feels like there is a list of obligations that you must fulfill to feel accomplished, to draw near to God, to feel accepted by God. Have you, have you ever felt like you're on the Christian treadmill? There's a long list of things that you need to be doing so that you're accepted by God and loved by Him. Well, I would invite you to read Matthew 11 and break the Christian treadmill. Because God, Jesus just gets done saying, I, ex I express to you the Father's heart. I show you God's love. I show you who he is. And in his first expression, after explaining that, he says to us that we are to come to him, those who are tired and weary, and that he will give us rest. And it's been my journey as a Christian, slowly but surely discovering that Jesus is not a burden, that his ways are not burdensome. And what I mean by that is this sort of Christian treadmill of feeling like you have to accomplish all of these things to please God. And what he has done is he has said to us, I love you and welcome you into the kingdom of God. You are loved and accepted as you are. And where the burden becomes, I think, is this sense of that we never will quite be accepted. That we'll never really quite be good enough. And what I want to say at the onset of this message, because there are some things that, uh, where Jesus starts kind of holding, holding our feet to the fire. But I want to start with Jesus is offering his light and hope and, and yoke for you. This way of life that is uh, casting aside the anxieties and the worries and the burdens of this world. I know that this message... You know, and you could pick up another passage of Jesus' sermons, and you'd say, well, it actually sounds kind of burdensome. Jesus says to carry your cross. And, you know, and then it twists our brain and our head starts hurting. And I don't, I'm not pro-head hurting this morning. But what I want for us is to think about Jesus as light, Jesus as hope, Jesus welcoming us. But then also there is a challenge within this message today as we look through the rest of chapter 12. Where Jesus wants us to make a decision. Are we with him or are we against him? Do we share in his father's heart and his will and desires for the world? Or are we standing opposed to it? And where that is the case, there is the cross. There is the burden that we carry. is the burden of a conviction that Jesus is Lord and King. But what we find in him, what we find in his heart, is compassion and grace and love. Jesus has uh, just healed uh, uh, healed uh, a demon who was blind and mute. 
Uh, Jesus is continuing his ministry. He's caring for the poor. He's lifting up uh, those who are broken and hurting and suffering. Jesus is doing incredible things in his ministry. In Matthew 12, 22, it sort of picks up then. It says, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But, if the, but it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You know, I, I had a strange dream this week. I woke up the maddest I've ever woken up in my life. I was just mad. And the dream was I, was, I was in the passenger seat, my brother was driving, and we got pulled over by the police officers, and uh, they came over to my side of the car, and they said, get out. And I said, well, well why? They said, you have drugs on you. And I laughed at them. And then when I laughed at them, they drug me out of the car, and then I woke up, and my neck hurt, and I was mad. Like, I don't know if any of you are like, uh, you know, Freud's out there and you can explain what's wrong with me and what my dreams are trying to tell me, but uh, I figure that it's great and I'm awesome. But, uh, the, uh, but I was just mad all morning, and that happened at 2 in the morning, and I couldn't get back to sleep. I was so mad about it. And I was so mad because I felt like my integrity was being questioned. You know, I just laughed it off. Like, that's, that's not me, and that... And then I just, you know, I don't know how the rest of the dream goes. Hopefully I'm the hero. But uh, uh, anyways, but I was just so upset about that. I was like, why am I so upset? I'm upset because it questioned my integrity. It questioned who I was. And when I think about this conversation with Jesus, the demon-possessed man being healed, and then they sort of look at Jesus and they say, okay, this is how you've done it. Jesus doesn't uh, seem to be as upset as I was, but I think that they are questioning the integrity of Jesus. How is Jesus doing what he's doing? And for them, the only explanation is, is, well, he's in cahoots with them. And I think that that would have hurt the heart of God because as we see in Jesus, his heart is for healing and spreading the kingdom and inviting people in. And so he teaches them that if this is what's going on, then this is a really, really bad strategy for Satan. Like, this is really dumb. In fact, what is happening is, is that if I'm healing by my spirit, what is happening is that the kingdom of God is present. Where you see the demons uh, being cast out, where you see people being healed, where you see these sort of injustices made right, what you are seeing happening by the spirit of God is that the kingdom is breaking in. So Jesus is trying to show in this sort of like this tension sort of mount now in the sense that there is a decision to be made about who Jesus is, what his character is all about, what he's revealing about the Father and bringing all of this uh, in front of the sort of contentious crowd. 
there are those who believe, there are those who trust that Jesus is bringing in the kingdom, that Jesus is healing, and there are those that are standing opposed, and they question the integrity of Christ. They question who he is and what he's about, and they say, if you're doing this, then you must be on Beelzebul's team. You must be in cahoots with the prince of demons. And Jesus says, well, a house divided against itself can't stand. And this is a really bad strategy on his part. But what I want you to see, and it's verse 28, is that if, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out the demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And what it's saying is, is the kingdom is on the scene. The kingdom is breaking in. And so now there is this sort of tension of, well, will we be, uh, be a part of it? And so then he explains further. He says, or again, can anyone enter a strong man's house? and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. He says, I'm tying up the bind man. I'm binding up the strong man so that I can ransack the house. And I love this image of our Savior who's coming to bind up the evil and the darkness so that you can be set free. One who's coming with authority to bind the man, the strong man, who has wreaked havoc in the world, who has just, you know, there's so many stories of just people who are suffering and hurting that Jesus interjects into their life and he brings healing and salvation to them, to the blind, to the deaf, to the mute, to those who are broken and suffering, to those who have leprosy, to those who have been ostracized. Jesus is coming and he's casting out the demons. He's bringing healing and hope. He can do this because he was tempted in the wilderness and he wasn't bound by the strong man there. He's greater than temptation. He's greater than sin. And we'll, sh we'll see that he'll conquer the strong man completely at the cross and the resurrection. We know that Jesus is coming and he will right the world. And so these stories give us hope that the Spirit of God is driving out darkness, that the Spirit of God is bringing healing and hope. And where the Spirit is, there the kingdom is. When we look at this story then, and we look at the heart of Christ, we see that he's binding the strong man so that there can be healing in the world. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. When I was writing out my sermon, I wrote the words, did I do that? And I, I recognize in the moment when I wrote, did I do that, that the temptation to do it in a Steve Urkel voice would be far too great for me. Um, I don't know if there's any fans out there. I used to watch Family Matters with my grandpa every day after school in syndication. I'd run to grandpa's house and we'd watch Urkel. Uh, so it's sort of ingrained in me, you know, to think that I do that. And, uh, that was a planned diversion just to lighten the mood a little bit uh, because all of us at one point or another have read this passage and have thought the question, did I do that? Have I done something so unforgivable from God that I have no hope of entering into a new life with him? And the question, really, if you're asking the question, did I do that? I think that that should actually alleviate the answer. Because if your heart is so tender towards God as to think, I want to honor him with my life, then that is not what this passage is about. 
This passage is about those who have heard of the grace of God and have continued to reject and push God away. He's talking right to his audience who says, it's not through the Spirit of God but the Spirit of Beelzebul that you're doing this. It is people who have rejected God and his goodness that there is no forgiveness for them. Not because God is unwilling to forgive them, but they are unwilling to approach God for forgiveness. They have pushed God aside. They have pushed him away. They have said of Jesus that he is not for them. And so they have pushed him away. So there's no forgiveness if you don't go to the one with the authority to forgive. And I don't want to soften it any more than that or oversimplify, and there's certainly a bunch of nuances to the passage. But if you look at your own heart, if you look at your own earnest desires to seek God and love Him and seek His forgiveness, then this passage isn't about you because you are going to the source for your forgiveness. If you're going to Jesus, you don't need to feel as though you've blasphemed against Him because you know the one, you know the source, you know the, uh, the person who gives us hope and forgiveness. It's Jesus Christ only. He says, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. He's talking about the work of the Spirit in our lives, that if we reject it and push it away, there's no forgiveness for us. But it, we can all respond. We all, can show, uh, we can all choose Christ. In Matthew 6, or 12, 33, it says, Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. It was a year ago at this time that I approached uh, the elders of the church because I noticed a tendency in my preaching. I picked up on something, and I believe genuinely that Jesus, what Jesus says is true, that out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. And... Uh, and really, uh, as you have listened to my preaching for uh, some time now, you realize that uh, uh, I'm just kind of like, you know, I just sort of regurgitate what I'm thinking. You know, there's not really a whole lot of processing that happens sometimes. But uh, uh, it is a good show for me to know the condition of my heart. And what I noticed a year ago to this day was a spirit of bitterness and anger. And I, I thought to myself, I don't know that that's the best thing to be feeding a church family. Now, if you're going to listen to what I'm going to say, maybe I should make sure it's, you know, filled with the Spirit, filled with kindness and goodness, and it would lift you up and not, um, not be what it was. And so I asked the elders, and I said, guys, there's something going on inside of me that I need to figure out. Out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. And what my heart is showing me, what my mouth is telling me is, is that there's something wrong with my heart. And so I got counseling. I was uh, depressed. I was filled with anxiety. 
I felt like a failure. I felt like I hurt people. I felt like I disappointed people. I was angry at people who uh, didn't do anything wrong <laughs> other than make their own personal decisions. But I was mad at them. And I carried all of that in my heart and on my shoulders. And I needed a break. And so I asked the leadership if they would uh, let me invite my friends. And I reached out to my friends in ministry uh, and who are local and in the area. And that's the reason why you had uh, seven or eight guys come and preach in February, March, and April of last year. And so I got counseling. Sometimes I met with my counselor two times a week because uh, there were some things going on with me. And since then, I've gone on a mental health journey of realizing uh, that... Uh, this whole passage that uh, take my yoke upon you my burden is light my yoke is light uh, come to me all who are weary I needed to rediscover a journey back to him I needed God to examine my heart and it's Dallas Willard wrote uh, this wonderful book um, called The Great uh, Omission uh, but he says in it uh, that out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. And uh, quoting Jesus, and he says, if you tend to the tree, the fruit will take care of itself. If you tend to the tree, the fruit will take care of itself. You know, and you want to be a good tree that bears good fruit. And I thought, okay, I need to tend to my heart. I need to care for it so that out of it comes an overflow of kindness and goodness and grace and pointing people to the hope of Jesus in heaven. And so I'm sharing part of my personal journey because I know that all of us have our own personal journeys of where we're at in our lives and our walk with God. But all of this comes down to what side we're on. Whether we believe Jesus to be the one with the Spirit, a Spirit of God driving out darkness and healing the world, or if we don't. And Jesus says, you're either with me or you're against me. And if what keeps coming out of you is against me, then maybe we need to take a close examination of our hearts and what's inside it. Exploring our souls and letting God in so that we would be healed and united with Christ, that we would know of his goodness and his grace. Are you open to Jesus? Are you open to his spirit? Do you... Looking at your life, do you hear coming from your mouth? Do you hear a love for God coming from your mouth? Or were you like me? Are you like me? <laughs> who, Every once in a while you would see some things that just expose the sort of caverns of your heart that were just not quite there yet. I haven't fully arrived, but I feel stronger now than I did then. Letting God in. Searching my heart. You make a tree good and its fruit will be good. You make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. A tree is recognized by its fruit. Is it good or is it bad? Jesus then, he talks about Jonah. Jonah is one of those fascinating ministers. Uh, he was the most reluctant prophet and he was the most successful prophet and he was the most angry about it. Right? He didn't want to go. He didn't want to go to the people that he was calling to. He was like, don't send me there. I don't want to go there. It's like, 
Send me over to Tarshish where it's great and wonderful. Don't send me to Nineveh. I don't want to go to Nineveh. I don't don't like those people. He runs away and he realizes there's no way out. You know, it's like only way out is if God lets him out, right? And so he goes reluctantly. He preaches a message. He doesn't prepare at all for his sermon. He just goes in one day. He says, repent or you're all going to die. See ya. And they all repent, and they, they cry out to God, and they tear their clothing. And then he says, see God, see what happens. You are a benevolent and loving God, a merciful God. And I didn't want this for all of them, but that's what they get. And so they repent, and they turn, and they love God, and they, Jonah goes to his little plant, and he cries under it. And then his plant dies. It's a really great story. It's captivating. And Jesus says, Jesus says that there is one coming who's greater than Jonah, a prophet greater than Jonah. It's the Son of Man, and he's going to preach a message of repentance. And he said, as reluctant of a preacher as he was, as reluctant as he was to go and preach that message, here's one who is coming to a people who are going to need to make the same response. Will they repent and turn to God, or will they not? And there will be a greater sign than Jonah because the Son of Man will go into the tomb and he'll be, he will be sent out by God and only by God's power. And his message, will it ring true in the hearts of people? Will we celebrate what God is doing and turn our hearts to him? It says then, uh, as we just kind of close out the chapter, if you jump to verse 46. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and his brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. We have a decision. We have a decision about what we believe about Jesus Christ. Do we stand with him or are we against him? Do we trust him with our life or do we still find our trust within ourselves or in this world? Do we turn our hearts over to God? Do we trust that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior? This passage is about whether or not we would join with the kingdom united against the darkness of this world or if we would stay in the dark. This is a message about our hearts. Would we choose to pursue God and and seek a life of a good heart, a good tree that out of the overflow of it speaks of love and grace and kindness and mercy that is filled with the Spirit of Christ and spreads the hope of Christ in the world. Is that you? Is your heart one seeking the Lord? You either are with Jesus or you are against Him. We don't necessarily like living in the tension of that, do we? but it's a tension that we must face. Do I love Christ and am I seeking Him? Or am I not? I would invite you 
to join with me on the long journey of discovering what it means for Jesus to have an easy yoke and his burden being light. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I have found myself time and time again getting a little turned around in my Christian faith. Setting the wrong priorities, thinking uh, obscure and weird things, getting twisted up in my faith. When it all comes down to, will I just take Jesus on my heart and on my shoulders? Will I trust in him? Will I walk with him? Will I trust that his way is better than my way? Will I choose him each day to be the leader of my life? And all of the burdens and all of the things that have sort of gotten my head and my heart twisted up have all been the anxieties and things from this world that are so far outside of my control. And really this passage, this set of scripture is just about choosing Jesus. Choosing him each and every day, each and every moment, saying, Jesus is my king. There is no other way. There's no other hope. No one but Jesus. So with all of my pastoral heart that I have, would you choose him? Would you love him with your whole heart? Would you take on his ways in knowing he'll bear your burdens and he'll comfort your weakness. He'll forgive your sins. He'll drive out the demons. He'll push out the darkness. And he'll come and be your light. Make the tree good. And the one who does that is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. And we confess that sometimes we've hopped on the treadmill of faith. And we've done an awful lot that we felt would impress you and impress others. We've done a lot to try and control things and control you. We've done a lot to try and manage culture expectations, manage expect expectations of spouses and friends, keeping up appearances, Lord. We have done all sorts of things on the treadmill of faith. And it's gotten us no further or nor close, no nor closer to you. What draws us to you is your spirit. What draws us to you is your love. And so we ask God that your spirit and your love and your light would do that right now. That we would be drawn to you and your goodness and your grace today. Or that we would set aside the burdens and the weariness of our hearts that today we would start exploring with you and your love of what it means for us to tend to the tree. Lord, let it be in prayer, let it be in earnestly seeking you, let it be in pausing in our lives to focus on you. God, we believe that Jesus Christ has authority in heaven and on earth. 